Hello and welcome to Baka Banter, a podcast about all things anime and otaku culture. My name is Ravi and I'm joined by the lad who wishes he had his own personal licorice, Yanatan. Do you want to say hi, Yanni? I thought we decided it was pronounced licorice. That sounds a little <laughs> too close to licorice, so I'm going to say licorice. This is going to be one of those things we disagree on the pronunciation, and I probably have it wrong, but it's fine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> We're finally it's back. It's been a while. It's been, what, two months, I think, since we recorded an episode, something like that. I mean, wow. obviously, for listeners, we had the backlog, so things were still coming out every two weeks, but we were both on vacation, and it feels fucking amazing to be back. I was messaging you this morning that I was like, irrationally excited to record a podcast again which i guess is a good sign that we're actually making this yeah it's been so long i mean it feels weird just to be back here in the states i i was abroad for basically a full month it's nice to be home for sure but it was also really nice to get a vacation it's been so long since we got out from covid yeah definitely and i spent like two and a half weeks in Alaska hiking a lot, which was super tiring. Actually got COVID while I was in Alaska. That was not fun. Ooh, Would not recommend. Then came back to the States, had like, you know, a week or two settling into Seattle. So I'm actually not in New York right now. And then I flew for work to Canada, to Toronto, and then came back here. So it's also been a super hectic time, but it's nice to be back settling into a rhythm with work, making the podcast now live. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to Ravi coming over to the West Coast in like a month's time. You know, I can't wait for us to finally have video so people know <laughs> how often I record in my closet. Every time you end up in Seattle, I'm always like, well, I guess I can't use the original recording room, so I'll just record in my closet. It was a clusterfuck trying to get this set up. So maybe that's why it sounds a little different to you listeners. I don't know if anybody notices that, but Ravi is sitting in like the summer of New York in the heat, just in his closet with the temperature just rising, not running the AC because it's way too fucking loud. And he's got like his laptop stacked on a ton of boxes. The things we do to make this podcast happen. Things are falling around me. I don't know. I feel things on the back of my neck. I'm not <laughs> sure those are my clothes. <laughs> All right. Anything you want to debrief or talk about from your vacation before we turn to more anime stuff? No, nah, man, I'm tired. <laughs> I am wiped. The thing is... It's the first time in a long time that I've done a trip this long. Three weeks to four weeks is something that I have, I've never had a trip that long. Yeah. And we hopped around so many countries, perhaps too many countries, <laughs> as I think you thought. But the thing is, we also ended up in Europe in the middle of its heat wave. Yeah. It was so hot outside. I mean, being in a different country, of course, you want to explore and you want to walk the city. Walking around in Sevilla when it's like 113 degrees outside was... yeah. A little miserable, <laughs> but it was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about what constitutes a vacation for a certain people. I think we both like to take pretty active vacations typically, which is very yeah. nice. And we try to do a lot and we try to be active and hike and see cities and, you know, just generally be active when we're traveling and sort mm -hmm. of make the most of it. But then you come back from your vacation, you're like, did I even have a break? I know. <laughs> I feel tired. I want to sleep. And for a lot of people, you know, the point of a vacation is just go lie on a beach and sleep in. And that's right. also super nice. But right. I feel like both of us don't end up taking those kind of vacations almost ever. We don't. And it was hilarious texting you when you were in Alaska at the same time as I was in, what was it? I think it was in Paris at the time. And you were like, hey, man, I'm like halfway through this Alaska trip right now. 
I am wiped. Yeah. And like you're, you said, your aunt and uncle are just out climbing you. Some of my family is insane just in terms of like always wanting to be active, always wanting to get on a hike. And so we were doing these crazy long treks and then we have an hour for dinner. Then it's like, oh, got to go to our sunset hike. And just every day was like that with like hours of driving, yeah. which is which is really fun. And, you know, you get a lot out of it. But one of those days I was like, man, I just really want to fucking sleep in, watch some anime, play my gotcha yeah. games, <laughs> not do a fucking hike. There was a moment like two weeks in where I was like, I could see this being over now. <laughs> I could see me coming back. Maybe it's time to go back. And then we had that last extra week in Spain. I got to say, Barcelona is amazing. Madrid is all right. But you Barcelona fucker. is amazing. <laughs> you absolute fucker. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in Madrid for people yeah. that don't know listening to the podcast and Robbie's taking the yeah. piss on purpose. Not that Barcelona isn't nice, but you know. <laughs> yeah, but beautiful place, amazing food. The tapas are great. I'm vegetarian, which makes my experience a little non-traditional when I was there, but amazing food, architecture, culture, people. It's so great to see these other countries and to, to see people and how they live in other places. I had a really good time, but at the same time, Back to anime. We must come across as so fucking elitist right now, being like, man, our vacations, they were just too active. Like, we Dude, really I haven't taken <laughs> a vacation in like four years at this point. I saved up so much for this. Uh, all right. Well, I hope you're all enjoying your summer vacation if you've been able to take one as well. And I guess we'll transition into anime now. So since we haven't had a live recorded podcast in like two months, there's a lot of fucking anime news <laughs> that we usually cover at the top of the show and we'll have like a little bit of discussion about the things that are interesting to us. I have too many things to cover. So I think I'm just going to run them down quickly, as quickly as, you know, as possible. And Ravi, at the end, take some mental notes and just interject with your thoughts on whatever you found the most interesting. All right. Here we fucking go. Strap in. Grab your coffee. <laughs> We're going to do this. Strap on. Grab your coffee. <laughs> All right. So first, new Kaguya-sama project got announced right after the season three finale. By the way, season three, fucking amazing. Peak fiction. All right, next. <laughs> it's going to be actually a movie called The First Kiss Never Ends. It's going to have a Japanese theatrical release followed by a TV simulcast that's going to cover the next arc in the manga. So nice to see we're getting a continuation for that. Speaking of the Kaguya-sama manga, that's ending soon. So that story is going to be done, at least in manga form. I'm going to probably read it uh, until the end. And I don't know if the anime will get adapted all the way through, but I Are guess we'll see. caught up right now? On the manga? No. Not Are you yet. Not? No, not yet. Taking your sweet time? Taking my time. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Next. So Wit Studio started this really fucking weird Kickstarter project to like fund advertisement, which is the worst thing you could start a fucking Kickstarter project for. I don't need to fund that for you. <laughs> like, get someone else to do it. <laughs> anime expo uh happened in la it looked fucking insane at some point the la fire marshal had to stop people from entering the building because it was so crowded and it was like a fire hazard i know people joke about ax being a line con and the crowds but those crowds i do not want to be anywhere near those like i'm glad people are back at cons yeah. and enjoying it but it looked a little insane considering we also still have a pandemic going on this is definitely a response to all the pent-up frustration yeah. people have had for a few years now without any cons. And we even know from our local con, Anime NYC, that it's sold out immediately. Yeah. The three-day passes are gone. And maybe that's a good thing in some ways because it definitely regulates the amount of people that will be there, unlike Anime Expo, which is insane. Yeah. But at the same time, there are a lot of people like us that wanted those three-day passes and we're still trying to figure out how to get there. We'll almost certainly be there, but the question is how. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
So speaking of AX, things that got announced at AX. New panty and stocking with garter belt at Studio Trigger. Yeah, baby. Incredibly unexpected, but yeah, baby. very sick. The trailer for Trigon Stampede, done by Studio Orange, came out. That looks amazing. A solo leveling anime adaptation done by A1 Pictures was announced to come out in 2023. And Mushoku Tensei Season 2 got announced also for 2023. So that's a little roundup of all the big AX news. On a slightly sadder note, the mangaka that is responsible for Yu-Gi-Oh! actually passed away at only 60 years old in this really tragic diving uh, accident. Super sad for such an influential figure in the anime industry. I think it was really touching for me to see how many people looked up to him, not only as a mangaka who created this franchise that was so big and so influential in many people's childhoods, like it was for me, but also actually how much of an advocate he was, which I didn't know. Like He's very politically active in a lot of different spaces, talking about progressive ideologies, which I had really no idea about until his death and seeing more people write pieces about him. So... Really, really sad. Rest in peace, obviously, to Kazuki Takahashi. Yeah, it's a true loss to the anime community. I mean, whenever you have a piece of work that transcends communities, something like Yu-Gi-Oh! Yu-Gi-Oh! was almost a cultural experience when we were kids. Everyone knew about this work. Everyone was playing the card game or yeah. watching the show. And I think it definitely is something important to recognize the mangaka, the person who made that work. Because not a lot of people know the names behind a lot of these works. And so definitely hats off. Rest in peace. Yeah. Moving on, Dr. Stone season three got announced for 2023. I don't know who cares about Dr. Stone anymore, but Ravi's kind of forced to watch it for the seasonal reviews. I am not really invested in it. This is just one of those shows that everyone depends on me to watch, I guess. Yeah. The Chihayafuru manga also actually ended. I really need to go read it. I think it's probably going to be my next manga reading experience after Kaguya-sama. I'm hoping this leads to some sort of season four uh, announcement over at Madhouse, but nothing on that front yet. Haikyuu season five was seemingly confirmed super fucking randomly at this collaboration event that nobody was expecting to have any kind of news and i didn't tweet about it from the pod account or even mention it to ravi because it was only some really suspicious twitter accounts that were talking about it because they were just random people that happened to be at this collaboration event but it seems like that's actually real which is super exciting there's now a countdown on the official haiku page yeah. so that's I exciting think that's the one that will officially confirm yeah. it it hasn't been officially confirmed yeah. yet we'll see other big news in the anime industry space. So Crunchyroll acquired Right Stuff Anime, which is an anime merchandise website for those of you that aren't familiar with it. And I have pretty mixed feelings about this because it's another step in Sony slash Crunchyroll being this really big monopoly in the anime space. And they already made some really controversial decisions. For example, cutting all of their 18 plus adult content that Right Stuff used to be a big provider of, like no longer exists on their site pretty much immediately as Crunchyroll acquired it. There's a lot of rumors of them maybe not having Sentai merchandise as they're trying to sort of break away from other companies having their own merchandise on their site. So I don't think it's a good thing ultimately that Crunchyroll is just going to have this big North American monopoly on everything. But I guess uh, we'll see where that goes and hope for the best. 
yeah, we'll really have to wait and see if there are any competitors that rise up. We know that Sentai and High Dive are trying to yeah. increase their hold on the space. Things like Made in Abyss are now only available there. And I guess a lot of people are watching it. It's hard to tell for me. It's one of those things where, yeah, it's not great to have no competition in the space. If they just have a monopoly over it, we're just going to keep seeing these unilateral decisions being made. And a lot of them may be hurtful to viewers like us. Yep. Okay, so also Kaiju number eight got announced as having an anime adaptation. I don't know anything about it, but people seem to be excited about that. There was a new Chainsaw Man trailer that came out that Ooh, I was so definitely excited about. Really, really so fucking looking good. forward to that coming out in the fall. Looks really amazing. They really know how to hype people up. I really hope it's not one of those cyberpunk kind of releases, but everything is pointing towards this being a, a real blockbuster later I think this it's going to be huge. I think it's absolutely going to be huge. Inuo was announced as coming out in U.S. theaters. That's the new Masaki Yuasa movie. I actually already got tickets to see it next week. I don't know if you are planning to go see it. Uh, TFTI, but... <laughs> Do you want to fly to Seattle and come watch this movie with me? <laughs> you didn't even offer, man. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and then moving on to the last batch of news for the past few days, actually. Season two of Tower of God got announced at Crunchyroll Expo. Yes. I don't think anybody was really expecting that, given that all of the Webtoon Crunchyroll adaptations, Tower of God, God of High School, Noblesse, didn't really do that well. I mean, Tower what of are you God. talking about? They were amazing. <laughs> Tower of God was definitely the most successful, and I think pointed towards maybe having the most interesting stuff down the line. People keep saying the middle half of the Webtoon is quite good, and it is a big franchise in that world. I didn't think the first season was really anything special, but I guess cool that we'll see more of it. I don't, I don't know how you feel about that. Among the three shows that they released, the three webtoons they released, I will say Tower of God probably had the most notoriety. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't really special in any way. And I think to even appreciate it, we'd have to see something else get released because season one ended on the weirdest cliffhanger it felt and like all set up no me. clarification to the mystery yes it, it really is a lot of setup to the world and some of the characters although the characters still don't really make any sense it's hard to understand their motivations hopefully the next season will clarify some of this i'm not that hopeful for that one though oh you don't know exactly what rachel's up to all i know is that she <laughs> Can't even say that on air. Yeah, it's a fucking spoiler. <laughs> a bunch of movies were announced are coming to Crunchyroll in their continuing amalgamation of everything in the anime industry. So things like Your Name, Wolf Children, Akira, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero are all going to just be available to stream there, which I think movies were a big thing that were missing from Crunchyroll or just any sort of anime streaming website, at least in North America. So they'll be a good place to watch all of those. You think they'll be in 60 FPS? I swear to fucking God. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I need to say this on air. Anybody who cuts like anime fight scenes or OPs into 60 FPS needs to be banned from watching anime ever again. That shit looks unnatural. It's wrong. It looks bad. Like more frames does not equal good. It looks bad. Stop I mean, doing I'm it. I'm going to be honest. I already knew Yanni had this strong opinion when we sat down to watch Redline together with one of uh, Yanni's friends. And we put it on the TV and we're like five minutes in. And I'm like, damn, this is amazing. This like animation looks great. And you're like... Guys, can we pause that for a second? Like, <laughs> this looks like it's 60 FPS. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? So I literally spent 30 minutes pulling up other streams, stream after stream. And Yanni's like, oh, I, don't, I can't tell the difference. Like, is this one 60 FPS too? And then I think they came to the conclusion that the TV was upscaling the resolution. So we originally thought that it was just the specific version of the movie that we have found that was upscaled for some weird reason. And then we ended up concluding by a testing a bunch of different versions that it really was just the tv 
I don't even know what TV my friend had. It had like the motion blur on. Yeah, it was like by default giving it this upscale look that I fucking hate. Anybody who appreciates animation knows that this is a base take. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right, last two things, and then we're done with the news. The opening for Mob Psycho Season 3 got released. Looks fucking insane. It's so, so good, and it really highlights what we talked about actually in our last episode, which is that Mob is such a passion project and has such an amazing production schedule. Apparently, their production director is just very good at actually getting everything to animators ahead of time, having their own choir for the show's opening they apparently for season three have already finished most of it it's airing in october but it's already done quite a bit ahead of time and they just clearly put a lot of effort into the franchise and adapting it in a way that shows that they understand the source material and they care about it and it's really really cool to do that so i'm super excited for that and speaking of which having mob psycho and chainsaw man and spy family back all in the same season in the fall is going to be crazy yeah this fall is gonna be a little wild yeah and then finally the thing that got announced i think earlier today was that ranking of kings is having a i think spin-off episode is what it was announced to be not a season two or a sequel called treasure box of courage it's coming out next year if it's just a one-off episode or maybe a few episodes i think it'll be nice to hopefully spend more time with the characters i doubt they'll do anything super risky plot wise so we'll see anyways how did i do <laughs> the news did we get through it two months of anime that was a good uh good amount of time <laughs> you want to talk some more you got the list again no anything you want to comment further on no what are you I excited about a whirlwind tour uh what am i excited about i mean you mentioned this fall season which is great you mentioned all the announcements from anime expo actually i think crunchyroll expo is happening right now too so i'm yeah. waiting for some cool announcements from there um, because hopefully they'll be releasing some new interesting things yeah, I just think it's a it's a really cool season to be around and watching anime. And I'm really, really excited. And the suspense is building for this coming fall. Definitely. Super excited for fall. We're not talking about fall in this episode. <laughs> We're talking about summer, though. So temper the expectations. So on today's episode, we'll be diving into the summer 2022 season of anime. We'll be breaking down which shows left an impression on us, both good and bad walking through this season's most hotly anticipated sequels, and listening to Yanni talk about underage girls for at least 30 minutes. So let's get into it. So Yanni, how's it feel to finally get that sweet release after not seeing me for a month? It's pretty nice. <laughs> that was underwhelming. <laughs> what do you want me to say? Anticlimactic. <laughs> what do you want me to say? I want you to be happy. <laughs> I'm fucking stoked. I talked about in the intro how excited I was to record this episode. That obviously involves talking to you about anime. Two months without doing that felt really weird. I don't think we've taken that long of a break since starting the podcast. So No, we haven't. I think we've released. So we initially started this podcast being like, all right, you know what? We'll try for every week. We'll try for every week. <laughs> And we'll do every other week if we need to. And it just automatically just ended up being every other week after the first couple of months. Of we had a good few months at the beginning where we were basically releasing three episodes in a row and then taking a week off. So we'd do like three episodes a month, which was honestly, I don't know how we did that. It was pretty yeah. commendable. And I think this year we settled into every other week. And I think we're happy with that. It gives us enough time to prep and watch stuff and actually maybe yeah. get some fucking work done. And we haven't missed a week yet. No. So fingers crossed continues. 
Hopefully the listeners are happy with the amount of content we're giving them. It's a two hour long episode most times. So hopefully you can break that up. It takes a lot of work for us to put out most episodes. We don't get on here and well, we do chat shit, but we don't like <laughs> we actually prep for these episodes. Yeah, I mean, you say that and then I'm like, hey, uh, we have two weeks to prepare and edit this episode. And inevitably, one of us is up till 2 a.m. <laughs> Tuesday night or Wednesday morning trying to get this it episode. It says done. more about us than the pod. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the summer 2022 anime season. So the way we're going to do this is, as usual, we'll give our thoughts on the season overall, talk about some continuing series if there are any, and then we'll dive into giving our thoughts spoiler free on the series that we've started for the season and what our impressions are. And we'll be following the My Anime List seasonal charts if you want to follow along and check out what we're watching we're going in that order and at the end we'll give a shout out to the shows that we just didn't have time to watch or we didn't fucking care to watch like rent a girlfriend because i'm not subjecting myself to that you almost did (laughs) i almost did (laughs) so start off with ravi what are your overall thoughts on the season i didn't have high expectations for this season coming into it initially and then i found out how many amazing sequels there were like there was really no build up to this season like it wasn't in my mind like the fall season is and then it came around to us doing this first impressions episode and i was like wait the sequel to devils of part-timers premiering wait the sequel to overlords coming out wait made abyss is coming back so it really just blindsided me how much amazing content there was coming out this season and we also have some very interesting new shows like licorice recoil <laughs> Yeah, there's some amazing content coming out this season. It's been a lot of fun to just sit back and relax and watch some of these sequels. Some, as I mentioned in my intro, are going to be a little more tasteful than others. (laughs) have given us a better ride than others. Yeah. Uh, But we'll talk about that as we go through it. Yeah, I didn't have super high expectations for this season either. Like, I think there's a lot of stuff earlier in the year I was excited about with Kaguya just ending on a complete high note and a few other things like Spy Family that I really enjoyed. And then really looking forward to the fall as we talked about earlier so there were a few things i was obviously excited for made in abyss like we did a whole deep dive already on that we clearly love the series so i was very excited for that and there are a few other things i was looking forward to but i was expecting it to be a slower season and i think it still is but you're right there are a lot of sequels and then there are a lot of best girls in one specific show (laughs) i knew we were going to talk about underage girls for a long time today (laughs) chisato saved anime that's all i have to say (laughs) Careful, careful. (laughs) All right. So before we get into talking about the new seasonals, I don't think you have any continuing series that you're watching from the last season. I'm still watching Aoashi, which I do have to come back to very quickly to give an update on because, first of all, I'm the resident soccer expert for the podcast. Says who? (laughs) Says me. (laughs) (laughs) And also because in the spring episode, when it started airing, I gave it a little bit of a mixed review. I said there were some things I really liked about it, how realistic it's it was. It's surprising. Yeah, I gave it a better review than you did. I, it was kind of a mixed bag for me. Like, I was excited about it, but it didn't completely grip me. And I liked how it was realistic, but some of the animation was lacking. So I wanted to give a little bit of an update on that. It's good. It's fucking good. <laughs> Aoashi is good. In real time, I know the exact moment when Yanni changed his opinion on it. <laughs> and it was the episode with the mom, right? It was the episode with the mom, which we won't give too much background on, but there was a moment where there is some depth given to the characters around the main character. And you texted me that moment. You're like, all right, I'm sold on this show. So it definitely started out slow. And I think we both talked about that on 
the podcast when we were chatting about it last season, which is that, yeah, it started slow. It doesn't have any super gripping features in the first few episodes. And even the entirety of the first core, besides the one episode that you just referenced, doesn't have anything that sets it apart from maybe standard sports anime fare. But given those nice character moments for Ashido and his family, after that, it's really picked up in its second core. I have to say, as a caveat, I still think the animation is kind of whatever. And I think my point about how dynamic and difficult soccer is to capture still stands. And maybe that's just because I watch a lot of soccer and I've played it a lot. That really bothers me. But there's definitely some inconsistent animation that I think they're not doing super well. But they interjected this really good plot twist, which I don't think you've gotten to yet. And I don't want to spoil for anybody that's going to watch it. And getting just more into matches and highlighting a lot of the tactical nuance behind the games has been super well done. Like, I really hope we get more seasons announced. But regardless, I'm going to go probably pick up the manga at some point because the mangaka just really knows the game. There are a lot of references to even stuff that casual soccer fans wouldn't pick up, not just the top level players now or recently, like really historic coaches and all these kind of obscure references tactics like i mentioned that are really well integrated into the sport so i'm really fucking enjoying it way more than i thought i ever would and it's great everybody should go watch it if you care about soccer at all you should just go pick it up so this fall season we also have blue lock premiering right are you excited for that one i'm not gonna like blue lock <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I read the synopsis and it's basically like a shonen take on soccer where Japan is trying to create the perfect striker. And so they basically have a death game for all of these strikers <laughs> playing footy in like some secret island. Maybe it'll be fun. But what I really appreciate about Aoashi is the tactics and the knowledge of the game that is clearly embedded into it, interjected with some hype moments and some character development. And I don't think that's going to happen in Blue Locks if they're clearly going for something less realistic. I also want to give a shout out to the second opening, which is fucking amazing like it really made me feel nostalgic for the days where i used to play soccer and made me a little emotional just a little bit this is all self-insert yeah it really this is. is all self-insert this is right how here. you feel while watching isekai <laughs> yeah it truly is except i've never done it <laughs> <laughs> anyways so if you care about soccer at all you're interested in soccer at all you like soccer at all definitely give it a shot i think it's super underrated and i think a little bit more people are picking it up but it's a very solid sports anime and if production ig could just alternate between seasons of Haikyuu and seasons of Aoashi, I would be fucking happy. So they don't need to do anything else. <laughs> yes, sir. So let's get into this season shows. All right. So we are going to start with The Devil is a Part-Timer season two, which is being done by Studio 3 Hertz. We'll talk about that in a second. The premise for Devil is a Part-Timer, we talked about it a little bit on the podcast before. I think we talked about it in our Guide to Gateway anime episode. I think it was actually one of your picks. Mm -hmm. But the premise is that it's basically a continuation of season one, which came out in 2013, so almost a fucking decade ago. And it follows Demon Lord Satan and his general Alciel, who get stranded in modern-day Tokyo during their conquest of Enta Isla. They're pursued by the hero Emilia, and all of them assume regular lives without magic, trying to make ends meet in Tokyo, whether it's working at a call center, working part-time at a fucking McDonald's, or just staying home and doing housework. This season, the main conflict is that a child named Alice Ramos appears and names Mao and Amelia as her parents, leading to them having to protect her and learn how to be a family together. It's not a good sign for this season <laughs> when you present the uh, synopsis that dryly. 
All right, so maybe I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Since you're a big, big fan of the first season, how has this lived up to your expectations? Yeah, you know that feeling you have when you're watching a show that you're super nostalgic about? And I definitely glorify Devil as a part-time yeah. a little bit. I don't know if you do the same, but as you mentioned, it's one of those shows that I really enjoyed watching back in the day. It was one that I put on our gateway to anime list. And suddenly, more content got announced. It got announced after you actually spoiled the ending for me. Yeah, we were talking about the light novel ending, which I had been spoiled on on Reddit because I was like, I don't care that much about this plot. I'm curious what this controversy is about. And then you were like, just tell me. It doesn't matter. We're never getting more. We're never going to get more And then like a week later, (laughs) we're like, hey, here's season two. (laughs) So this happens all the time in anime where suddenly out of nowhere, we bring back the dead and have a new season of a show that someone, including myself, really loves. This was super unexpected. Every single time I make that amateur mistake of getting my hopes really high and more often than not, I get a kick right square in the balls from this. (laughs) And that's exactly what happened when I watched the first episode of Devil's Part-Timer. So this is a series that we've talked about so highly on the podcast. We've placed it even at the top of the comedy genre. And I know that the first season is still there for me. And that's because that first season was amazing. It was a refreshing reverse isekai, had a ridiculously funny plot, great characters, and decent animation. It really was the complete package, except for an ending. And that's what I was really looking forward to this season, a continuation of a beloved story whose ending has already been written and just needs to be adapted. And while I'm still really happy we're getting this adaptation, the new season of Devil is a Part-Timer has made me realize once again that a show's production quality can make it or break it. The animation quality for season two is just, I really don't know any other way to describe it besides saying it's subpar. The character designs in particular are not at all consistent with the first season. And as you said, the first season came out in 2013. So I'm like, okay, they don't have to be the exact same. They could be improved, but it doesn't look like that. They look less detailed. It looks a bit more childish. It almost looks like someone thought they needed to be upgraded. And to do so, what they did is they basically applied a smoothing filter (laughs) to all the characters. It just looks weird. I don't know if you agree with me, but... I know this is something that's not objective. This is definitely a subjective thing. And you could say, oh, I like this new character design. But there are some things that I think we have to look at objectively. Like, even within a single episode, the character designs fluctuate so much. The variance is so high. And that, I think, is a better indicator of production quality than anything else. The facial expressions, something that I pay a lot of attention to and will bring up again when I talk about Uncle from Another World, they're just a bit too exaggerated for me here. Like, even in the first episode, you see Amelia doing, like, the weird fucking, like, psychopathic faces. You see Chichan doing, like, the (laughs) giant moe, like, crying eyes. And I'm like, where is this coming from? This is so different. It's really kind of... uh, It's just uncomfortable for me. What do you think? Yeah, so the worst part of this season is the animation. And I did not realize we got a studio change. When this was announced, I, for some reason, just didn't register that this was moving from White Fox, a studio that I like, that generally makes pretty good stuff, to Studio 3 Hertz, which I feel like I've heard that name before, but I don't know anything else they've made that's good. So that's not a good sign. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying about the character designs, I noticed that immediately. In the first episode, I was like, these don't look the same. And Mm -hmm. they're definitely blander and a bit less expressive than what we got at white fox but at least for the first few episodes i was like okay this is kind of passable like it doesn't look that good but it doesn't look that bad it's not really interfering with anything and some people on reddit were talking about okay they just took a more simplistic 
interpretation of the character designs. It looks more similar to how they look in the light novel. And I was like, okay, you know, it's not that good, but I'm going to give it a pass. It's not ruining the experience for me. Some of the more recent episodes have actually been fucking horrific. (laughs) Fight sequences that look like seven deadly sins level of bad, where the characters look off model. There's these uncanny valley facial expressions you mentioned. Tons of still cuts that should be way more dynamic and action heavy. It's a fucking shame that this adaptation has to suffer so much. I think ultimately I'd probably still recommend tuning in if you really like the first season and you like the character dynamics because that's what I think is good about this show. I think the chemistry between the main cast is what's the selling point, right? You want to see these comedic moments combined with the slice of life work stuff and you want to see Emmy and Chiho and Mao and the rest of his household all interact with each other. Like that's what you're there for. So if you still want to see that, it's still there. It just looks really bad. I really like the new villain they introduced. I don't know if you got through the first few episodes. He's fucking funny, like really funny. And mm-hmm. that's fun. Alice Rabbis is cute, but like we just got fucking Anya. So there's nothing that's ever going to compete with that for like a child character ever again. I still find the Chiho stuff super fucking annoying. Like Mao has to continue to lead her on for some reason, even though she's a fucking underage girl. Can you just develop your relationship with Emmy, who you're now a co-parent with? Like, please do that and stop with the underage shit, please. Yeah, it's definitely getting a little uncomfortable. And the last thing I want to see in this show is for him to develop this weird harem. And I feel like I'm getting that vibe a little bit from it, where the character interactions are definitely at the level of like, oh, I I have a love interest and I'm going to start making fun of them. Like, even in the first episode, he, like, makes a joke about uh, Amelia. Her name's Amelia, right? Yeah. Emmy or Amelia. Sorry. I keep thinking back to ReZero, and I'm like, <laughs> it's also Amelia. Not okay, yeah. Yeah, he makes a joke about Emmy's, like, bus size or something like that, and I'm like, this has really strong harem anime vibes, and, like... I mean, I think what you're saying is true, that the second season is leaning more into the harem aspects, and that's also part of what I'm kind of over, but do you think that's something that if that joke was made in the first season when you watched it in, like, 2013, would not have bothered you as much as it does now? Like, do you think a little bit of it is, like, a reflection of how your enjoyment of anime has changed because i think that's definitely true for me i definitely made that disclaimer i think at the beginning of this that i definitely hold the first season in a kind of grandiose light my impression of it is probably better than it actually was but it's something that when i want to see these intimate interactions between characters and they're funny in the first season the character interactions were hilarious like chichan was still in love with maho yeah. But it didn't seem uncomfortable. It's hard to express exactly why it is with this season. And I want to watch more of it to f- consolidate that opinion. But right now, there's not a lot going for me with the character interactions, in at least the first few episodes. So it's kind of sad because that was the thing that I love the most. Yeah. One thing that did stand out for me, though, is the voice acting. I really love how well the voice actors are still able to play their roles. Yeah. And the one that's my favorite, which is still kind of a quote unquote side character, is Ashia. Ashia is yeah. hilarious as the quote-unquote like house husband. Yeah, he's so funny. He's so funny when he's railing on the other demon lords there. It's so funny. And I'm still really interested in the story. I really do want to see where it goes and what happens to these characters. But that's what makes the drop in quality hit that much harder is that it just makes it more difficult to watch and to relate to. Yeah, I don't know if you feel this way, but at least for me, I'm not invested in the plot at all. What I want to see is these characters go to fucking McDonald's and then 
Emmy and Mao have to be parents and argue. Like, that's the shit I want to see. I don't care about Enta Isla at all. I don't care about the angels. I don't care about the tree of life. I don't care about the lore. Like, miss me with that bullshit. I'm tuning out every time you're talking about that. <laughs> but when they're like... You want to make this a slice of life. <laughs> yeah. You want this to be a full slice of life. Yeah, I really do. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really hesitant to really deep dive into the uh, childcare aspects of this. Yeah, it's like it could be funny, and I'm sure it is funny, especially in the novels. But at the same time, that's not necessarily the route that I would have liked. Yeah, I mean, I think part of also coming back to the Chiho thing, what makes it more uncomfortable is that in the first season, at least to me, it felt like okay, clearly Chiho is in love with him, but he has this like way more interesting adult relationship with Emmy and that's what's going to be explored. He'll just reject her at some point. And then spoiler alert for the end of season one, I guess, because we have to talk about the first season, the second season. So <laughs> anyways, at the end of season one, she like confesses and he gives her this open-ended, I can't give you an answer yet. And I was like, no, bitch, reject her. Like, <laughs> please. <laughs> She's a high schooler, like reject her. And so maybe that's part of what makes it more uncomfortable this season is that we're kind of left hanging with that. She still thinks there's a chance, which should not be a part of this plot in any way. I want to ask you one question that I think comes from the state of the show right now. Would you rather get a sequel to a show that you love, even knowing its production is going to be bad and it's going to be adapted kind of poorly in the way that Devil is a Part-Timer is? Or would you rather just get it regardless of? Can I state? take option three and we just get a good adaptation <laughs> that ends? No. <laughs> Um, do I want more content? Yeah, I want more content, but that's just me being selfish. I still am really looking forward to where Devil's a Part-Timer goes because I want to know the ending of the story. This is the thing that makes anime the bane of my existence sometimes is that we almost always end up with no ending. You can have an amazing adaptation, but we just get no ending and we're left with a go read the manga ending. So many anime fans know this. So any more content we get is going to be fine with me. You mentioned Seven Deadly Sins, <laughs> and for anybody who's actually watched that, if you did watch the seasons where it got really bad, probably you do say, oh man, I wish we didn't have this. But for me right now, especially with this show, I still want to see where it goes. For me, it really depends. I guess at least with Devil's a Part-Timer, even though the animation's really bad, it's not a show that I care about that much, so I'm happy to get it and still get the comedic parts that I like, which are still in there, and the character interactions that I still enjoy, and it's just a fun show to watch and turn on. Yeah, what about, like, The Promise Neverland, though? Yeah, like, if they're going to butcher it where there's, like, no redeeming qualities, definitely I would rather just not get that. I would also way rather delay stuff, which I know never happens in the anime industry, but if you told me, okay, you have to wait another five years for Devil's a Part-Timer Season 2, but White Fox will still do it, and it'll be the same quality, I'm like, yeah, sign me up. Easy. Delay that shit. I don't need it now. There's already too much anime to watch. It's fine. I could be dead by then, bro. <laughs> True. But if it's a show I really care about, like you asked me, I think, once if I would rather have a shitty Monogatari version, if they started adapting off-season or monster season. No, I don't want that. <laughs> Do not give me that. I don't want it. The thing is, so at least here, it's not like anime original territory, right? Yeah. It's not like they're just going off the cuff. There is source material that they're adapting, and that's why I'm fine with it. And I'm assuming, like... Some of the qualms I have with this season are part of the source material, like the interactions between Emmy and Mao and the interactions between Chi Chan as well. So I know that exists there. Yeah. When I complain about the adaptation, I'm also complaining about the underlying source material a little bit. It doesn't have the same feel that season one did. Yeah. And I think that's fair. They're definitely going in a different direction. Yeah. Anything else about Devil's Part-Timer? No. I want some McDonald's. <laughs> we can go get some after this. And by we can go get some, I mean, we can separately go get some and then eat it over Zoom. <laughs>
Long distance relationships are hard, guys. I'll order it for you from here. <laughs> wow. So kind they of you. They have seamless in Seattle? <laughs> yeah. It's not like a different country. It's another country over there. No, it stopped. It's like an isekai. No, it stopped. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to season four of Overlord being done over at Madhouse. The only thing I know about Overlord is the really bad CGI in season three. So Season two. Season okay, two. season two. See, I didn't even know that. <laughs> isekai expert, take it away. How does it feel that Overlord is above Maiden Abyss in this ranking? Feels bad. <laughs> <laughs> it honestly feels bad. <laughs> so the way we order this is by popularity. So the number of people that have currently up watching for it yeah. on Mal. Yeah. It's really sad that not only Overlord, but also Classroom of the Elite Season 2 both outrank Maiden Abyss. That's a travesty. I feel like part of that is maybe because, first of all, it's on high dive. Second of all, the movie that came in between whenever there's a movie that people have to go watch separately it's like a big yeah. ordeal you know yeah that movie is actually you do kind of have you to have watch to watch that it. you really have to, to understand it. what's yeah. going on yeah anyway so there's a few big hitters within the quote-unquote transported into a video game offshoot of isekai that almost all fans of the genre have either seen or have heard about sao for example or log horizon or no game no life but among these, I think there's still one that stands out as being the most unique, and that's Overlord. Now, I will be the first to admit, and you already know this, that Overlord has had its issues in the past with its plot and its pacing and its production quality. I'd rather not bring up the Lizardman arc and the hordes of CGI <laughs> zombies that I think I've shown you. Yep. There's literally a scene where you see two lizards fucking in this show, <laughs> and I prefer to have that wiped from my brain if I could. But its premise and its characters still have more than made up for those shortfalls, in my opinion, and made me come back to this show season after season with excitement. For those of you that haven't seen Overlord, the show follows the player Momonga, who finds himself trapped in an MMORPG with the game's NPCs. Uh, for people who don't play video games, I'm sorry. <laughs> who have now developed personalities of their own. So Momonga decides to explore this world to seek out any other players who have been similarly trapped, while also protecting the home of his prior guild, Ein's Ul Gaon, whose name he decides to take for himself. So in seasons one through three, the show does an incredible amount of world building, introducing us to other characters and nations that each have motivations of their own. It also develops Ein's into a unique protagonist within the genre, one who falls somewhere between anti-hero and villain, rather than the traditional isekai MC. Because Ein's is also overpowered, the show explores questions that most other isekai never reach or care to explore, such as the ethics of killing people to protect others, and how to build a fair empire and rule it justly when you have the power to do whatever you want. So Season 4 picks up where Season 3 left off, with the formation of Ein's new domain, the Sorcerer Kingdom, and shows us the challenges that Ein's now faces from within and outside his kingdom as its supreme ruler, you are falling asleep. <laughs> so in the past few years, we've been getting a lot of these kingdom building animes, such as That Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime, How a Realist Hero Rebuilt the Kingdom, and The Genius Prince's Guide to Raising a Nation Out of Debt. Those are mouthfuls. And honestly, I really like this theme, though. Have you seen any of these shows? You haven't seen any of these, right? No, why would I? Okay, so world building and nation building is like one of my favorite things besides fantasy adventure in literature, in movies, and in anime. I love when you have a character that's just charged with building a nation, all the strategy and all the intrigue that goes into that process. 
And that's exactly what this season is turning out to be and why I'm really excited for it. So in terms of production value, this season also seems to be pretty high quality with animation that's definitely improved over the last season from 2018 and also has decent voice acting. As always, the opening for Overlord is a banger. Previously, they had Myth and Royd in there. Now you have to listen to the opening. It's fantastic. I know you're not a real fan of the heavy metal openings. Like I showed you the one for Daughters of Nemosine and you just were not a fan. (laughs) We have very different definitions of bangers. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. I mean, somebody should just listen. If you're listening to this, just pause, open up a YouTube channel, pull it up, see what happens. It's nice to see that tradition of just banger openings being upheld here. If you're a fan of the series, I think you're in for a real treat. If, like a lot of you who may have dropped this show a while back, probably in season two with the Lizardman arc, it'll probably be a lot of content to get through to make sense of what's going on. But If you do like nation building, if you really like these characters, it may be worth it. I admittedly don't know much about Overlord, but I think the one thing that it does have going for it is that very interesting twist on the protagonist, which is basically making him isekai as the villain. And Mm -hmm. I think now in the crazy oversaturated isekai market that we have, it's maybe hard to appreciate the novelty of any isekai concept, including this one. Because I'm sure there have been other anti-hero isekais since then. But given that this is season four of Overload, it really was, I don't know if the first, because again, I don't know that much about the entire genre, but definitely was the first that I heard about or that got a lot of notoriety, I think, within the community. And so when Overlord came out, it's like, oh, that was an interesting twist in season one. And I think if you're into that sort of concept, then there's no reason to not check it out. I will not be. I I think that (laughs) (laughs) I know you will not be. I think that, yeah, the main character and the set of characters are really the allure of this show. I mean, the anti-hero aspect is something that I enjoy. It's a breath of fresh air from something like, what is it, the vending machine girl that's coming out soon? (laughs) (laughs) That's the new isekai, right? The one they just announced is like, I got reincarnated as a vending machine and now I explore dungeons. And it's like, wow, we really are just pulling concepts out of a hat at this point. Yes, sir. All right. You didn't react to that at all. (laughs) What do you want me to say? <laughs> Laugh. Fuck. <laughs> I am not happy that we have all of these fucking shitty isekai when it's my favorite genre. How are we going to... This is why I didn't react to that, because I'm going to go on a full rant here for five minutes about fucking stupid refrigerator girls and, like, building worlds out here. There's literally a fucking isekai about cooking in another world, and I'm, like, semi-excited for it. But, like, what is going to happen in this isekai, dude? I don't know, man. <laughs> All right. It's all about Overlord. Yeah. Some of the times I don't react because I'm <laughs> containing myself. I'm trying not to lose my Good mind. self-control. Good exercise <laughs> and self-control. All right. So let's move on to season two of Classroom of the Elite done by Lerche, which I also know literally nothing about. It's kind of sad. <laughs> so it seems like the way we distribute these shows amongst ourselves is that you take the shows that the community generally agrees are good, <laughs> and I take the shows that are a little more... Shit. Uh, how do I put this? Fringe. You say shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> Classroom of the Elite is the most mid show I've seen in a long time that's passable without being just straight outright bad. I have 
a lot to say about this one because <laughs> you introduced it as average in every way and then you're like but i have a lot of thoughts <laughs> how could you have a lot of thoughts it's average it's the number three most highly anticipated <laughs> show of the fucking season people are clearly watching this yeah that's true i know that this is a second season but we've never talked about this show on the pod so let me give you a brief synopsis of the entire thing by brief, I mean not brief. <laughs> but this show follows the students of Tokyo Metropolitan Advanced Nurturing School, an elite school. school dedicated to training the next generation of leaders in Japan. So students in this school are assigned to classes A through D, with students in class A demonstrating the highest performance and students in class D the least. So it's my hero and not only does <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And not only does Class D have the least merit, but this is actually where the school has decided to put its quote-unquote defective students. Those with clearly problematic traits or backgrounds that could impede their success in society. And it's in this class that we meet our protagonist, Kiyotaka Ayonokoji, a placid, socially inept student who is seemingly highly intelligent but chooses not to apply himself because of a desire to live a normal, effort-free life. Heard that one before. And does this sound like any <laughs> other character we know and love? never heard that ever in my life <laughs> so many people have made parallels between Ainokoji and Hachiman from Origaru but I don't think there's nearly enough depth to this character or the show to make that comparison warranted one pivotal aspect of the show that we haven't discussed is that everything in this school is based on points and by everything I mean literally everything points can be used to buy the normal everyday essentials like food and household items because Apparently, once you enter the school, you cannot leave. Like, you literally cannot get off this fucking island where the school is. You can't contact anyone. Your parents are probably like, oh, shit, my kid's dead for like three years. <laughs> What's happening in this fucking school? Okay. And this is the first part of it that I have a little bit of a qualm with because it just makes no sense there. But back to the point system. They could also be used to pay for test answers or increase exam grades or even transition between classes. So I guess if you have enough points, you're basically fucking Jesus in this world. And this is the fundamental tenet of the show, that classes are not fixed. If one class, let's say class D, attains more points than class C, then class D will become class C. And that struggle, that conflict, is the fundamental basis of this show, that every class wants to beat the other classes and become class A. So... That's the conflict that we watch Ayana Koji and his classmates navigate in the show. They themselves, as part of Class D, which has never attained Class A, now want to become the next Class A. How is this actually executed? Poorly. <laughs> so in Season 1, we're introduced to a few members of Class D, such as Horikita and Kushida. People who have watched Season 1 will know who the fuck I'm talking about. I know you're just blankly staring at me. Yeah. They receive pretty poor development, and those personalities... Their personalities are predictable in the worst possible way. As for Aina Koji, well, he gets the role of disinterested chick magnet because even though he's totally unlikable, his ability to solve nearly every conflict the show throws at him makes every girl suddenly fall in love with him. So it's like, I know in Origaru, all the girls fall in love with Hachiman, but there's a reason there. There's a clear reason because he is struggling to solve people's conflicts. And as part of that struggle shows himself, his personality, he shows how he's flawed. And Aya Koji never does that. This guy is like silent God out here. He is deus ex machina as a character. As for the show's conflicts, they're borderline unbelievable because there's like, I'm losing my mind here. <laughs> 
<laughs> As for the show's conflicts, they're borderline unbelievable and at some points honestly ridiculous. Like there's a plot arc where one of the girls in class D has a stalker who then tries to rape her and Ayana Koji oh, somehow <laughs> figures out where this girl is using her GPS location. How did he hit her GPS location? Like they literally exchange phone numbers. He finds her throws off the attacker and is like hey i knew where you were because uh you gave me your phone number but actually here's the gps location right here <laughs> and he manages to stop the assault and right after she's getting assaulted she's like oh shit i love you now <laughs> which is like damn next level insensitive it's like what is going on here yeah that sounds pretty bad so this ability to solve every issue with ease and present the aha moment afterwards is why Ayana Koji's character is just so frustrating. Unlike Hachiman, which I mentioned struggles to solve Origairu's conflicts and the process deepens the complexity of his relationships with his other characters, Ayana Koji wins every time and reveals nothing more about himself or his classmates. The pacing of the show is also super slow. Every arc takes three-ish episodes, and by the end of season one, there's really no change in standings among the classes, which unfortunately makes me believe that this story is really never going to get an ending. That's sad, I think, because of how much room there is to make characters and plots in this show interesting. So even though I've been dunking on this show, I should talk about the few redeeming qualities. The animation and voice acting are actually quite good, even though there aren't that many moments for the animation to show off. When it does, though, there's a couple of fight scenes, for example, where the animation quality is super high and it looks really good. And the premise of the show is, as I mentioned, pretty interesting, if not fully believable. A lot of the characters there could be developed, challenges they could face could elevate this show. And that's mostly season one. So let me talk about season two. I said this is not going to be that brief. This will be pretty brief. <laughs> season two presents another special exam, pitting the students and classes against each other. Of the challenges we've already seen, I think this is one of the more interesting ones because it ideally would give us some insight into each character's way of thinking and their motivations. In particular, the character focus is now on Kuroizawa, the most popular girl in the class, but one that we learn has severe trauma from bullying. And this is where I was like, nice, this could be a really cool plot line. The game is super psychological that they're playing, actually reminiscent of something out of either Kaiji or Kakegurui. And the bullying plotline has a lot of potential. Personally, I know we both are fans of bullying plotlines, like the one especially in March Comes Like a Lion, because they reveal a lot about characters and put them through a very traumatic situation where you get to see a lot of who the character actually is. But once again, I think the execution here really fails, which is so frustrating. The bullying plotline happens through this stupid side plot where a bunch of girls from another class just end up attacking Karuizawa, and Ayana Koji just ends up saving and forming an alliance with her, just magically solving the competition once again. The animation also this season, I think, looks much worse than season one, which really means that the only reason I would continue watching Classroom of the Elite is if I was really invested in learning more about Ayana Koji's background and seeing how Class D overcomes the other classes. For those of you that really want to see that, good luck. It really <laughs> looks like it's going to be a slog. What it sounds like to be from everything you just said is that this is a show that basically has no business tackling super deep, psychological, intense plot lines, but kind of tries to anyways. And then... yeah. We all know how that goes. Not well, ever. Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. And like all the students are in class D are quote unquote flawed. So they all have these deeper underlying personas. Yeah. When I say the personalities are predictable, for example, when we were talking about Kushida, oh, she came across as the really nice girl. She came across almost like Yui in Origairu. Yeah. 
And then from the first second, I'm like, all right, this bitch is playing out here. There's no way this is actually a personality. And a little later on in season one, obviously these are all spoilers because we're talking about season two here. <laughs> later on in season one, she clearly comes out as like person who has an underlying mental illness because she's like, I'm going to kill this other character out here. So clearly there's something wrong with her. And you could tell that immediately. Like, all the characters have this very superficial persona, which is hiding another superficial persona. It's really dumb. Basically just sounds like a series that should not be tackling rape and mental illness and bullying and is trying to anyways. I think all that matters is that it's better than Maiden Abyss. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are we talking about Maiden Abyss? Yes, Was that your are. segue? All right. Let's talk about season two of Maiden Abyss, which is called The Golden City of the Scorching Sun, being done by the same team at Kinema Citrus. So this is the next season of Maiden Abyss, which comes after the first season and the movie Dawn of the Deep Soul. We already mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but absolutely do not skip the movie if you want to watch this. It's a continuation from the first season, and this season comes exactly after that. You have to go watch that. So go do that if you haven't. And we continue following Riko, Reg, and Nanachi as they descend to the sixth layer of the abyss. Nanachi. Fuck off. <laughs> Which is called the capital of the unreturned. This comes right after their encounter with Bondrude and his Umbra hands in the fifth layer. Okay, so I have two major thoughts about Maiden Abyss. Just two? Just two. <laughs> Only two. I mean, the rest of the thoughts we already talked about in our deep dive. If you really like Maiden Abyss and you want to hear us talk about the first season super in-depth and the movie super in-depth that was like one of our first 10 podcast episodes just scroll back find it we did a really long deep dive and it's fun go listen to it we like maiden abyss so two thoughts first one maiden abyss for me is still probably the pinnacle of fantasy world building in anime and outside of anime we already covered this aspect as well in our deep dive but the feeling of discovery and wonder that someone could create this kind of fascinating world rich with creatures, magic, and lore, like, honestly blows my mind. The world building, the different layers in the abyss, society outside of the abyss and inside, it's truly amazing how much really incredible fantasy world building is part of the show. This continues to be the case in the sixth layer, where we encounter a village of hollows, which are these humanoid creatures that have succumbed to the curse of the village that they inhabit in this layer. The sixth layer operates on the principles of value, meaning that the village can sense when someone is destroying something of value or cheating in an exchange. So basically, it's the scariest part of the abyss possible, capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> which I like, that's realistic. <laughs> You like capitalism? <laughs> no, I like that <laughs> capitalism is so deep in the abyss. <laughs> I see, I see, I see. They're also interjecting this narrative with the cast of characters that we are used to following. With this narrative thread of a previous expedition to the Golden City, we're starting to meet some of the characters from that previous era, and we're going to see, I assume, how they link up with the main set of characters. Yeah, I just want to point out that anime is not political. <laughs> yeah, it never is, ever. <laughs> so that's all the good stuff, and I think... This season is really a continuation of everything that was good about the previous seasons in terms of the world building, in terms of following Rico, Reg, and Anachi, who I'm still really invested in seeing their journey, dropping more hints about the lore of the previous era, dropping more hints about the lore concerning Rico's mom and Reg's past. I think all of that is really, really great. It's still amazing. Yep. While all of that is true, my second point is that I think I've started to notice more and more 
that a lot of the content in Maiden Abyss is questionable and a little bit problematic. And that's become much more apparent to me this season. You just started noticing this, bro? So I the did- The first 30 seconds of the first episode? I'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I think maybe viewed the first season of Maiden Abyss with these rose-tinted glasses because when my partner watched the first season, I think it was at sort of at the same time we were recording that deep dive episode. There are, I already noticed, way too many jokes about Reg's dick. <laughs> like, there are a lot of Reg penis jokes that I did not remember were in there. Why are they in there? I don't know. They serve no purpose. I guess kids might talk about that, but why is that there? <laughs> in this season, I, I guess I've started to be more in tune with noticing these things that I don't really like. Because in the first few episodes alone, there are already multiple scenes of the main child characters going to the bathroom. Why are those there? Why is she taking a shit in the pod? I don't need to see Rico take a shit. Where did that come when from? When she gets to the village and she has diarrhea. I don't know if you've gone to this episode yet. The yeah. creature that is designed there is this fucking like literal tongue that cleans out your asshole. Why is that there? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> There's also child rape in the first episode, the first scene actually of the season. And even some scenes that are like super reminiscent of tentacle hentai. Why are any of these there? Yeah, you don't like I that. I understand that the abyss is supposed to be dark. It's supposed to be really intense. But there's something that feels kind of off to me about continually putting these child characters in these slightly or not slightly sexualized positions. And it's just a shame that it's in there because otherwise I love Maiden Abyss so much and I continue to really be invested in the plot and the characters. But why is this there? <laughs> and I feel like it's gotten worse this season. There's no explanation for it other than like maybe the source material, the person who created the source material is a little bit off their rocker, <laughs> which maybe you have to be to create this world in the first place. But yeah, I don't know. Those are really my sort of conflicting emotions about it. And I'm still going to watch it. And I, I still really like the show. But damn, it's like, why? Why are those scenes in there? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it, is that I'm conflicted about that aspect of it, too. As you said, it's still at the forefront of the fantasy adventure genre for me because the world building and the characters are so interesting. You just feel like you're immersed in this world with them. It's amazing. That aspect is amazing. At the same time, the content they're actually going through in the plot is very questionable. Like, we get it. The abyss is yeah. hard to travel through. We don't need very explicit scenes to get that message across. We know it's dark. We got it. <laughs> in some ways, like, I think the explicit nature of it is done really well. Like, even in the first season, when Rico gets stung by the whatever walker yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, the yeah. spiny walker thing, and you literally see Reg have to, like, break her arm. Yeah. I'm like, that was one of the first few scenes where I was like, holy shit, we're really in for a dark fantasy That's just intensity here. in a non-creepy pandering way, though. And that I'm yeah. fine with. That's okay to be in there. I'm fine with it being dark and using the Moe facade to be yeah. subversive in a way. But the pooping and the dick jokes and the rape, I don't need. <laughs> yeah. I don't need it. Yeah. Every time I start <laughs> watching Maiden Abyss, my viewing experience in the first minute really just goes the full gamut from, <laughs> oh, I'm in for a relaxing adventure with these <laughs> cute characters to what the actual fuck did I just watch? And that happens in this first episode of the second season. That happened in literally the first like 30 yeah. seconds where I was like, oh man, we're meeting a nice cute. Oh fuck. She is like getting <laughs> raped out here. What is happening? Yeah. And even at that point, I was like hand on my head, like, 
are we really watching this right now? Like, are they just going to skip past this? Is there no major psychological trauma we're going to explore with this? And we're just going to go on the adventure with her now? What the fuck is going on? And so I feel like this is one of the aspects of the show. When we get to the not questionable content, that juxtaposition of the darkness with the childish characters is why this show is so unique and unexpected. And that makes the feelings of dread hit all the much harder. But at the same time, as you're mentioning, that juxtaposition gets a little uncomfortable at points. And I don't know if that's something that the show intentionally, I mean, of course, it's something the show intentionally wants you to explore with the violence. But when it comes to the other scenes, like the pooping, I don't know if that's necessarily uncomfortable or was that a joke or like what's happening there? It's just unnecessary. But I have the feeling now when my partner and I are watching this together now and every time we put out an episode, every week we're like, time for Maiden Abyss. We're going to sit down. We're going to make sure we're not eating anything and we're going to psychologically get ready for having a very intense experience. 22 yeah. minutes go by. We're like, yeah, that was intense. All right. What are we watching yeah. after this? Can we watch your camp? <laughs> Yeah, I know we talked about the more negative aspects there. I still think the spirit of adventure and wonder the show makes you feel is as strong as ever. And the artwork is something you still have to mention. Like, I have never gotten an art book from any show. The art book from Maiden Abyss must look fucking unbelievable. I would get it. The landscapes are absolutely beautiful. They're filled with the most amazing alien flora and fauna. And the secrets, the mysteries of the abyss still continue to deepen, which is incredible writing on the part of the mangaka. It's like incredible work here. And I really like what they're doing, having this like mirror of the previous era expedition with Rico and Anachi and Greg. That's really, really good. And you know those are going to connect, but you're still waiting to see exactly how. And we're kind of getting to a point where they're starting to reveal a little bit of that. So I'm still super invested in Maiden Abyss. I will watch any Maiden Abyss that comes out. I'm still really enjoying it. I just have to sort of caveat the questionable content that at least for me has become much more apparent this season yeah also shout out kevin penkin i knew you were gonna say shout out kevin (laughs) penkin incredible soundtrack again he's fucking done it again (laughs) you know in the first like uh let's say 15 minutes of the first episode i was honestly questioning the soundtrack a little bit because i was like hmm I don't know if I really like the English background vocals that are coming with the adventure that they're going through. And then I watched it again. I watched the first episode twice and I was like, you know what? No, I think Kevin Penkin's done it again because like it's memorable. It's different. It's unique. This is one of those soundtracks I can listen to on its own. And I do listen to the soundtrack on my first season. Exactly. It's just so memorable. The other last thing I want to mention about the show. What do you think about the opening? I like the opening. So I really like the opening, okay. but I really feel like, I think you thought I was going to say something negative, Yeah, (laughs) but it really seems like a lot of opening direction nowadays is trying to go in the style of the ones from Jujutsu Kaisen and Ranking of Kings, where you do have these panoramic shots with these fade-ins and close-ups and very like dynamic camera movement. And also with this movie style animation, I don't know how best to describe it, but very fluid, like even looking nicer than what the show itself it looks like everyone was wowed by Jutsu Kaisen. They were wowed by the, the second part of Ranking of Kings opening. And they are and amazing. It really has the same feel. They're incredible. And I think that's why people are trying to emulate it. I don't know if it's the same director, but it really yeah. is like they're trying to emulate it in a very, very interesting way. I don't mind at all. It looks great. Completely agree. I think it fits kind of thematically with the first opening. I think they did a good job making those feel cohesive. Yeah. 
All right, let's move on to the actual best anime of the season. How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> Maiden Abyss was definitely my most anticipated, but I'm fucking loving Licorice Recoil done by A1 Pictures. Oh my God, stop saying that. <laughs> Licorico? Licorico? What am I calling it? Lico Rico. Lico Rico. <laughs> That's definitely not Lico, Lico Rico. That's it. That's how they say it. No, it's not. <laughs> it is. All right. So what is this show about? This is about a government organization in Japan that raises these orphaned girls as killers, of course, to carry out assassinations and just generally keep order in the country under the Licorice Lycoris program. Takina is one such Lycoris working under the DA, the main organization of the government that is putting this program forward. And she makes a mistake during a mission and is transferred to the undercover cafe, Lyco Reco, to work with a prodigy Lycoris named Chisato. Takina is motivated to solve cases in order to get back to her DA position as soon as possible. But she starts noticing that Chisato does her job quite differently, helping all kinds of people in need, even using rubber bullets to avoid killing her enemies. So... This is, I think, a classic example of a seasonal show that had really no name recognition as an anime original and that I wasn't even planning on watching until I saw some Twitter clips and until Ravi was like, you fucking have to watch this because it is exactly up your alley. And then I saw some more action sequences on Twitter. I saw some art. I was sold. How are you just going to interject <laughs> me in there? You're part of it. Are you just going to throw me in the middle of that? Give me some recognition here. All right. It's because of Ravi that I watched this. And Thank honestly, you. Thank you. I'm so fucking glad I did. Lyco Reco is cute girls doing cute things with this action twist to it. It mixes this amazing animation by A1 Pictures that looks really beautiful from the smaller character moments to these action set pieces. Everything looks super sharp. Chisato is an absolute best girl of the year candidate. The way she dodges bullets by just fucking walking around, but also oh has this God, kind, outgoing personality. She's just the fucking best. You can see how she's bringing out the better in Takeda and how they have this really nice dynamic going together. Also, healthy, healthy amount of Yuri bait that we're getting. You'll love to see it. Wait, I didn't see that at all. Where? <laughs> it's just you're taking the piss right now. This show is so lesbian. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. I think the only question mark here is how this is really going to play out. It's an original one core. We don't know really where the plot's going to go and no source we know what to go from. So hopefully we just get enough good content and it's well paced with a satisfying conclusion. That's always a risk with these anime original projects that could turn out like Wonder Egg. It could turn out to be incredible. You never fucking know. But I fucking love it. It's such a fun watch every single week to see a nicely animated show with slice of life with action with cute girls doing cute things. What else do you want in anime? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, they could be in a fantasy world. <laughs> From watching the first five minutes of the show, I knew that Yanni was going to cream himself <laughs> over it because it's a great take on the cute girls doing cute things genre with an incredible animation and sound design. You said cute girls doing cute things. I think it's better described as cute girls doing grotesque things <laughs> because they're literally murdering people out here. No, she's using rubber bullets. <laughs> Not the other ones. They ain't. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> and it makes much more sense, as you heard Yanni describe the show's premise. But it's such an innovative and imaginative take. And I really, really love the characters. Chisato is probably my favorite character of the season, yeah. which is surprising given there's four fantasy shows I'm watching. <laughs> and that therefore actually means something. She's super fun to watch. She's hilarious. And she has a great balance of being cute, but being a total badass. 
The great thing about the show is that it's not just her. It's this entire cast of members from the members of Liko Rico to Takina. And they're all super fun to watch, watching their character interactions, seeing especially the interactions between Chisato and Takina, who have completely opposing personalities. That's amazing. It's the so opening fun. actually, I think, really shows that well. And the opening is by Claris. So first of all, you have an amazing soundtrack. Love Claris, yeah. And then on top of that, the animation, I always think back to that last scene where Chisato and Takina are walking and down the street her butt. and yeah. she kicks her in the butt <laughs> yeah. with her foot. And then the Takina just full on just goes full soccer kick. Yeah, like, that's not gay that's at a all. Great, <laughs> it's a great depiction of their personalities, though. And I'm so excited to see where the characters develop. Even in episode three, which is the last episode I watched for all of these shows, you can clearly see that Takina is coming out of her shell and opening up. Yeah. And the Chisato is the one that's actually causing her to do that. She's the impetus for so much character development yeah. in this show. The humor, the action, the intrigue, it all brings this to the next level. I'm really excited to see where this goes. Yeah, the character development, you're right, has already actually been pretty good for Takina just a few episodes in. So I'm pretty hopeful yeah. on that front as well. They've introduced a little bit of a rivalry with some of the other girls at the DA. So... It seems to be setting up some interesting character stuff with also some side characters having backstories that we don't know too much about. And hopefully we just get the continued adaptation quality staying the same throughout the season and something satisfying. And I think I'm going to be super, super happy about it. Holy shit. I just got to reiterate that moment in episode two when she's dodging oh, she the bullets. Oh, she dodged the bullets, yeah. Dude. That was fucking sick. I literally <laughs> sent that to you and I was like, bro, you got to watch this. This is one clip. And you're like, yeah, I already saw it on Twitter. And then you saw it again in episode two. So good. Oh my God. The complexity of the animation is done so well here by A1 Pictures. And like when they actually come out swinging, they They can turn it. it the fuck on when they want. Yeah. yeah. You could see the cartridges, spent cartridges being released from the guns. You could see the sparks hitting like the suitcase. You could see the glass breaking. You could see reflections in items. It's so good. For people that haven't watched it, this is in the second episode, the first mission that Chisato and Takeda actually have together. And so Takeda has heard a lot about Chisato being this prodigy, but doesn't know really anything about her. And Takeda's face when she sees Chisato dodging all these bullets is like basically the surprise Pikachu gif. And that <laughs> yeah. was also my face while I was watching yeah. it. I was like, holy fuck, this girl. I just, rocks. I keep thinking back to that moment where she like throws the guy with the grenade and then she sees the guy with the AK 47 or whatever gun it is just come at her. And then you just cut to the shot of her eyes just widening. Yeah. And then like she's looking at the bullets and I'm like, oh my God, that's such great animation. That cut. It's very nice direction, too. So, yeah. Anyways, if you're looking for a really fun, stellarly produced anime original that you haven't picked up yet, this is definitely the one to go to. Out of all the sequels that we have, it's nice to have something original that is generating a good amount of hype. And I think actually on the R anime rankings for this most recent week, it actually jumped up to the number one most commented and talked about show. So at least in some communities, it's definitely gaining a little bit of recognition, which is really nice. It's that ship. It's doing wonders. It really is. <laughs> Sailing hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have two more shows to cover. The next being Uncle from Another World, done by Atelier Pontdark. I don't even know <laughs> anything about that studio, but I know Ravi's excited about it. So yeah, it's a Netflix special here. Have you heard about this? You know anything about this? I've heard about it from you. Okay. All right. It's not often an anime that I'm pleasantly surprised anymore, which <laughs> maybe makes me a cynical ass. But given that I'm a lot more optimistic than you, I really don't know what that makes you. <laughs> An regardless, anime <laughs> regardless, the reason I say this is because Uncle from Another World has been one of the most pleasant surprises for me this season. I know that you said 
Lycoris was really a pleasant surprise. That was one that I had my hopes built up for a little bit because you told me about it before I started watching. And then I also saw some of the clips on Twitter and I was like, holy shit, this looks amazing. I went into Uncle from Another World completely blind. I knew nothing about it besides that it's an interesting take on the isekai genre. And that take has made it stand out and combined with its unconventional animation, frequent references and hilarious bits. I think this is going to be one of my seasonal favorites. The show introduces us to Takafumi Takaoka, whose uncle Yosuke Shibazaki has been comatose for the past 17 years, ever since he was hit by our good friend Truck-kun. You saw in the first like 10 seconds, I actually sent you that clip yeah. where Truck-kun just, just barely misses him, yeah. <laughs> your boy Takafumi. And I think that just sets up the nature of the show, the comedic nature of the show, that it takes a lot of baked-in tropes within Isekai. And as you like to say... Your favorite thing. It slightly subverts them. <laughs> Just like kill a kill. <laughs> Just fuck off. <laughs> so however, Yosuke, the uncle, suddenly wakes up one day and reveals to Takafumi that he had been transported to another world of fantasy and magic. And like any self-respecting citizen of Earth, Takafumi, of course, thinks his uncle has gone crazy until Oji-san demonstrates for him his magical powers. Now, Takafumi is tasked with reintegrating his neat-turned-isekai protagonist uncle back into modern Japan. And this process is absolutely hilarious. Everything from Yosuke's love of Sega video games to the YouTube channel they create to monetize his magical powers provides so many opportunities to integrate references and make jokes. Yes, the uncle is a content creator. <laughs> yeah, he becomes a YouTuber or something, right? <laughs> he does. He becomes a YouTuber, which is absolutely hilarious because, again, you have to remember this guy's like from the 70s and now he's starting a YouTube channel. He has no idea the internet works, has no idea how trolls work. <laughs> Comments on YouTube are straight cancer most of the time. And so he's looking at the comments and just responding to all of them. And the nephew's like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you responding to the trolls? The way they poke fun at the isekai genre in particular is refreshing, and if you've been a fan of this genre for a while, it'll be nice to see how tropes from truck-kun to fantasy harems are made light of. One of my favorite aspects of the show is the way they animate the characters' faces. I come back to this after talking about Devil as a Part-Timer. I had also talked about faces when I had talked about some of my favorite shows like Prison School, like Konosuba. You just shook your head like, yeah, of course it's yeah, your favorite show. Yeah, I know. <laughs> So you've also watched these and watched them with me. When this is done really well, the facial expressions completely change the dynamic of the show. They really make you understand and relate to and become a part of the humor. And that is so much fun for me. It's something that I think can really complement and elevate the humor of a show. The final thing I want to mention here is the opening. I sent you the opening. Did you watch it? No. <laughs> you dirty... <laughs> Dirty bitch. I forgot to. <laughs> the show's opening, go watch it. Don't listen to Yanni. I didn't the say show's it. opening is really, really good, especially the retro game art style in combination with the music, which is, I've said this twice today, an absolute banger. Also, you get to see Disco Ojisan, which is always a pleasure. I know you loved the opening for. Your boy Kong Ming, right? Your boy Kong Ming has this like amazing like dance set to it. There's also this crazy like Uncle Oji-san retro I'm discoing on this like 8-bit game set kind of thing. It's amazing. What actually happened is I think I had really bad service and I was like, I'll watch this later when I have service and then I forgot. So 
Anyway, it's going on the to-do list. I do think from what you've described and what I've heard about the show is that it has two really good things going for it. And one is that, like you mentioned, it's subversive and pokes fun at the genre. It's self-aware. And Konosuba is one of everyone's favorite isekai because it does exactly that. It pokes fun at all of the trends in the genre that's clearly oversaturated. And that's really funny to watch. And it doesn't matter that Konosuba already did it. If it's done well, it's going to be funny. And that's always going to be really good to watch. And the second thing is that it actually does have a pretty novel twist on the genre itself in that it takes somebody who has been isekai'd and then isekai's them back. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We never see stories like that. I'm sure there are some for the isekai buffs out there, but we rarely get stories like that where it's like a post-isekai isekai. And that's also very, very refreshing. And you mix that in with all the narrative opportunities that that concept is going to allow you and if they're going to do the comedy well and do the facial expression well and all the other things you've mentioned then it's just going to be a really funny watch so yeah absolutely i mean the best part of it is seeing the reactions of quote-unquote normal people people on earth like his nephew to some of the situations he was in when he was in this fantasy world and when he was in the fantasy world he wasn't hailed as no hero he was a literal like orc goblin face (laughs) everyone wants to take a dump on him even though he's incredibly powerful everyone hates him so you see the trauma from that moment just being shown to the nephew and the nephew's like what the fuck (laughs) is going on what is this other world you're from there's a hilarious romantic bit which when i mentioned is a bit subversive for the fantasy harem aspect of a lot of isekai where the uncle is just straight up like does not understand that this girl likes him which is very common but in this case just escapes from her tries to get as far away from her as possible and so all of these comedic bits are just great and there's so many references baked into this like there was an attack on titan reference i tried to show you but netflix prevents me from screenshotting stuff which kind of sucks so dumb you're hurting your own marketing by not letting people screenshot and send people images of the i really lost that send people images <laughs> send people images of the shows that you want them to watch seems like a no-brainer marketing tactic but yeah but. crunchyroll is also doing that i know it's for so some weird. reason it allows you to still screenshot the subtitles <laughs> so i'm pretty sure i sent you this like crazy it was just a black don't sniff me yeah but yeah. it was all the screen was just all black other than the subtitle <laughs> all right let's move on to our last show for the summer, which is Yuri Deco, which is a science Saru original. Obviously, as an anime hipster, I am obliged to watch this. Do you know anything about Yuri Deco at all? No. You probably haven't even heard of it. I've heard of it. I don't know anything about it. Okay. So the premise of Yuri Deco is that in the cyber city called Tom Sawyer, for some reason, I think there's a lot of Tom Sawyer references in the story and the characters, society revolves around the concept of quote-unquote love which is basically like receiving likes on social media. Citizens of the city exchange love for public services and appearance-changing avatars via their deco, which is a hologram device implanted into people's eyes from early childhood. Soon, a phenomenon called Phantom Zero starts appearing, which drops love values in specific regions of the city all the way to zero. Barry is our main character, and she's fascinated by this and starts investigating, eventually encountering a camouflage prankster named Hack when her deco partially breaks. It turns out that Hack is part of a group of people called Yure, who live outside of the system's futuristic rules, uh, and Barry joins them to learn more about the true nature of society. So this was actually the seasonal original I was most excited for, given that it's a Science Saru project. The way I like to think of the premise is that it's sort of similar in spirit to something like Summer Wars or Bell with their virtual societies that operate by different rules. But those are governed by complete virtual reality, whereas Yuri Deco, 
approaches that from a more augmented reality perspective where the technology is integrated into people's daily lives and changes the appearance of that society rather than being a completely virtual world. The thing I like about Yuri Deco is that it fixes some of my issues with the previous two. As we know, Hosoda likes to leave his world building pretty vague. As an example of this, in Bell, I was constantly wondering how you works, like who's moderating this? And you quickly learn here that Barry's parents work as part of a team of regulators that censor what society learns about through their deco. So you actually see them at their office filtering, moderating content and seeing like, oh, this is too traumatic or this is like a criminal event. We're not going to let people get news about that. So you actually get a little bit of insight into how the world works. That to me is already more interesting if it's going to approach a theme that we've seen over and over again in stories and not just in anime, which is the intersection of real and virtual worlds. Despite that, I think the characters are vibrant. Barry and Hack can be super annoying at times, but at least they have some personality. And nothing so far has been taken too seriously. The story has started to veer towards this investigative narrative where Barry and this group of Yuri take cases and ultimately are trying to track down who Phantom Zero is. So it is a little bit more episodic, just highlighting different aspects of society. So most of what I've said is positive so far. And despite that, something about Yuri Deco doesn't really grab my attention. That is maybe the best way to put it. It's a highly stylized show that's definitely not bad and has a lot of really good technical components to it. But I'm still waiting for a major hook or a thematic insight that will make me really want to watch it. Maybe it's because the premise isn't usually something that I'm interested in. And if I am, I like the tone to be a little bit more serious, something like Psychopaths or Ghost in the Shell, as opposed to Summer Wars or Bell. But there's nothing that really stands out to me in any meaningful way. And maybe it'll get there and the narrative will eventually grab me. But so far, it's kind of a middling watch, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, from what you said, very thematically similar to Psychopaths. I don't really know if this is something that I should watch. It sounds very interesting. It sounds like they could explore new themes. Do you think that they will? I don't know if they will. I mean, it's similar to Psychopaths, other than that Psychopaths is a very dark, action-heavy take about it that's much more psychologically interesting. And so far, Yuri Deco has definitely gone the more sort of flamboyant fun route with it. Like, mm. clearly there are serious things happening in society, but the show is super colorful. The characters are super vibrant as well, like I mentioned, and they have really big kind of cartoony personalities. So they've definitely gone that direction with it, which I like less than something like Psychopaths. I'll keep watching it. And I think if the narrative gets somewhere super interesting, there are definitely very interesting themes to explore in this virtual versus real world theme, but can't really wholeheartedly recommend it as much as I was hoping to, given how much I like the stuff that Science Saru makes. Maybe it'll get there. I don't know. Fanboy finally gets sad. <laughs> you might like it because you really like Summer Wars and not Bell, but you, I think, tend to like those. Yeah, kind of I themes, really like these so. technologically heavy shows with some psychological elements to them. That's something that I very much enjoy. So I probably will give it a, a look and then maybe we'll discuss it. Yeah. Offline. We'll see. <laughs> all right. So those are all the seasonals we had time to get when started I call on. You when I'm sad. <laughs> you can call me anytime, baby. <laughs> Those are all the seasonals we had time to cover. As usual, there are always shows that people are watching that we don't get to. So let me just run down through some of the noteworthy ones. One is the second season of Rent-A-Girlfriend done by TMS Entertainment. I already subjected myself to season one of Rent-A-Girlfriend. I'm not subjecting myself to season two of Rent-A-Girlfriend. I thought you were a completionist. What happened? I dropped that shit. Rent-A-Girlfriend is so bad. 
<laughs> I think it grabbed everybody's attention because it came out right at this time of the pandemic hitting when a lot of shows got canceled. So there wasn't that much to watch. And at the same time, it had kind of an interesting hook with this rental girlfriend phenomenon that I think a lot of people in the West specifically aren't familiar with. And so that part made it interesting. And it did have one very good female character. Otherwise, the main protagonist is a piece of shit who never learns or undergoes any kind of character development. The rest of the cast is super fucking annoying. And I'm not subjecting myself to that. If you want to, have a good laugh. Mother's Basement released a whole like hour-long video where he just roasts the shit out of the show. So you can go enjoy that. We are not making Rent-A-Girlfriend content. I refuse to make Rent-A-Girlfriend content. <laughs> Otherwise, Call of the Night is out now, being done by Leiden Films. I've actually heard some decent things about this one and the source material. It looks nice and stylized. The animation looks pretty good. So you can check that out. I think it has to do with some form of vampires but don't quote me on that i don't know that much about it engage kiss is coming out also being done by a1 pictures i think it's super horny don't know anything else other than that excuse me what <laughs> i think it's horny <laughs> the show that snapped me back to attention <laughs> rwby ice queendom is ruby rwby <laughs> ruby what's is, wrong with you is also coming out which i know is a franchise that a lot of people spent a lot of time watching i think what's noteworthy about this is that it's a shaft retelling of it which i think a lot of people were shocked when that got announced they never really thought those two things would merge i'm not watching it because i'm not invested in ruby as you told me at all and if it gets really positive reviews and people say it's a worthwhile standalone experience maybe i will get to it after i've seen some of the animation cuts and they do look nice although Stuff with Shaft is a little bit of a mixed bag nowadays, but hopefully this is starting to sort of revitalize them on the way to the new Madoka movie coming out. Maybe more March comes in like a lion in Monogatari. Who the fuck knows? I feel like I say that every time Shaft comes up and it's just never going to happen. The absolute copium. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely copium. And <laughs> lastly, there's a remake of Tokyo Mew Mew coming out, which some people who have nostalgia towards that franchise are probably excited about. I don't know if it's any good. I don't know anything about Tokyo Mew Mew, but if you're a fan... It's coming out. All right. Anything else we need to talk about? No. That was a good episode back. It's good to be back. Hopefully, uh, you guys didn't sense too much of a break of us being gone, but for us, it's nice to be making episodes again and getting into they more knew. of a... <laughs> they knew because we talked about it. <laughs> and getting into more of a regular schedule. So look forward to the things that we have planned for the podcast in the back half of the year. So speaking of plans, next episode, we are going to finally be indulging Ravi and diving deep into Shinsu Kaiori or From the New World. Oh. I know you are so fucking yeah. excited about that. It's going to be at least 30 minutes of us arguing over fucking rats. So <laughs> I hope you're excited <laughs> for that. <laughs> and otherwise, that's it for this episode. Check us out. Check us out. I haven't done this for a while, so I'm going to definitely be out of practice with the outro. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcast apple's podcast spotify stitcher anywhere like that if you use apple podcast or spotify leave us a rating and a review that would really mean a lot check out our website bakamantra.com or our twitter at bakamantrapod we've had again some nice interactions over the break with people on all social media and it's always nice to hear from you guys regardless of what feedback you have for the podcast so definitely continue to reach out there and that's been it from us. We've been the Bacabenter Lads, and we'll catch you all in the next one. Bye.